Welcome fellow wanderers to The Forest Path, a podcast about the journeys we take to discover our true selves and our creativity, and the uncertainty and fears that can accompany us on the way. I'm Julia Mazzola, your inner forest guide. Today's conversation is with Clara Bailey, a naturopath specialised in women's health and providing education and mentorship so that women can take their health into their own hands. I worked with Clara a year or so ago to address some chronic health issues I have and love her holistic approach to healing. We talk about blending science and spirituality, being a highly sensitive person, handling evolutions in life and business, and so much more. Her teachings are so beautiful and inspiring. Let's begin. Hello, Clara. I am so excited to have you here. How are you doing today? I am good, Julia. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. Would you be able to introduce yourself for people who may not have come across your work yet? As you said, my name is Clara Bailey and I currently live in Sydney, Australia, but on the precipice of a move down to country Victoria, which is just southern Australia. So I am a, I'm lots of things, but I'm primarily a naturopath and a herbalist. uh, And I work in the field of menstrual cycle and fertility health. And I've been doing that for eight years in a couple of different guises. And my more sort of recent iteration is I've been moving into teaching and teaching in the online space, which has just been this marvelous discovery of being able to, you know, equip people with knowledge and skills and understanding of their body on a scale that I would never have been able to do in practice. So yeah, that's what my path has led me to at this point. And I try and keep a, do a lot of writing and yeah, all the things that goes with running your own show. So that's really how I spend my days. Yes, I feel whenever I ask this question, it's always so difficult for people to be able to actually sum up what they do. It's not a, it's not an easy question because there are, we are so multifaceted as humans. And normally a lot of the people that I speak to have done all sorts of interesting things as well and are still interested in so many different things that it can be hard to narrow it down to a a bite-sized paragraph, but that's why we get a whole hour to talk about it. <laughs> that in the the hyphens and the yeah the the skill stacks that we acquire as we move along. Exactly. So I would love to hear more about what actually led you onto this path to begin with. Were you always quite clear that you wanted to become a naturopath or a healer? Yeah, it was a pretty, I think in the scheme of things, a pretty early fascination and kind of, oh, that is what I want to do when I grow up moment. I was nine years old and I had glandular fever. Uh, so, and it was just not resolving. So glandular fever for those who, it's also known as like mononucleosis or Epstein-Barr virus. And it was kind of strange for me being that young to get it, but it just makes you feel miserable. You're tired and your tonsils are swollen and you just, and you can't go to school. So I'd had like a number of weeks, I had about five weeks off school and our family doctor, you know, all they could really suggest for us to do was you know, some paracetamol and some jelly and ice cream. And, and that was, you know, it was basically, we just have to sort of let time shift it and resolve it. And then my mom, 
heard from, you know, the wisdom of the playground. <laughs> the mum of a friend had, you know, saw a herbalist and she really recommended her. So mum took me there and I was just, I, I can remember this day like it was yesterday of just entering her office and the way that she looked at, like, I felt like she just, you know, spent her time seeing me and understanding me and she could sort of, yeah, the, it was just such a different experience to what I had, you know, assumed with what happens when you go to a professional when you're not feeling well. And, you know, then this next wave of bewitchment was watching her mix up herbs for me and, you know, the advice of chicken broths and no ice cream or jelly, which I wasn't so pleased about at the time. <laughs> and, you know, getting time outside. And I really enjoyed gardening at that point. She asked me what I was growing and she told me to get the sage from my garden to make a, a like a sage honey kind of warm tea. And within a week, I was back at school and <laughs> I just felt like whatever I had experienced with her and what she had allowed helped my body to do, I wanted to be able to do that for other people. So, yeah, it took me, I couldn't even pronounce naturopath. <laughs> I just knew, yeah, a herbalist, somebody who helps people with plants. Uh, so that was a really defining moment that I felt was this sparkle in my spirit that I continued following. I can't believe that it was such a um such a clear moment I mean I love that you had such an incredible experience and and really with when I started working with you one of the things that felt incredible was just what you said the idea of really fee feeling seen and listened to which I feel is very um difficult to achieve with a lot of doctors nowadays simply because of the systems in place they're not they're trying their best, I do know that. But there is something so beautiful about being able to spend a proper amount of time with someone and listen to their story. Yeah, there's real benefits of dwelling on the edges of a healthcare system. You, you're not burdened by the systems that they're having to work with. We can sort of see what the gaps are and try and create spaces to sort of, you know, offer a different experience for people. Yes. And so when when you had this experience, you were quite young. How did you end up getting towards your qualifications and your experience? And were there any branching pathways along the way? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then, you know, amongst that, as you do as a kid, like, oh, I want to be a vet. I want to be an artist. I want to be a writer. And, you know, but it always mm -hmm. came back to this idea of, you know, for want of a better word, healing. Like that is what, and I think as I kind of grew into myself as well and sort of learning, you know, that tender, precious time of being a teenager and you're actually discovering what your strengths are and, and, and who you are as a person, I sort of recognise like do you have the temperament for this kind of work? So I think I just those other options, like it was the plant path that just continued to shine brighter. But that being said, though, I come from a family and a background and a culture of that being seen as very unconventional and a very strange path to pick. So I sort of always associated it for a very long time as not the most um, responsible path to take and that that 
was, you know, quite hippie or quite unconventional, why wouldn't you do medicine instead? Like if you've got the marks for it or become a physiotherapist, you know, that, that sort of like, oh, that's a bit of a scary thing for you to be wanting to do. So I think I was aware of that, but I also maybe because of that, <laughs> was a bit like, well, just, well, just watch me because I'm going to give this a go. And I think my, the, I think the beautiful thing about the way that we can work now is that a lot of my other interests, such as, you know, art and and writing and these other lines of inquiry, have made a full circle, and I can incorporate them into the work that I do now, which has been really an unexpected surprise. Yeah, one of the things that actually really drew me to your work was the the beautiful blending of science and more of this creative softer spiritual magical element and the way that you manage to incorporate both can you talk a little bit more about bringing these two areas together well I think they make such a great interesting mix because (laughs) so I mean both in their sort of extreme you know science on one side and maybe one of a better word you know spirituality both at their heart are asking the question of how how do things work and what does it mean? <laughs> and I think sometimes, at least in the last few centuries of thought, there's been that split between the two and I feel like we're still trying to bridge that gap. But they, they complement one another so perfectly and I just think that when you teach somebody about how their body is working and, you know, with the incredible insight we can have about biology and pathophysiology these days and then be able to completely nurture a more soulful element of understanding the context of their healing. It's, you know, we learn and think in stories and science really helps just to explain how, you know, the how things work, which can really help our brain feel at peace with that so then we can engage in these more soulful elements And I feel there's a tremendous amount of wisdom and knowledge that can be extracted and blended from both. I completely agree. It has helped me enormously to not feel like I have to reject one or the other when I've gone on my own personal healing journey and even in the creative process. Because you mentioned before how you grew up in a family where the environment was potentially it was seemed kind of unconventional to not become a doctor if you were going to go down a a healing path. And I felt I grew up in a very similar kind of environment and society where if you are doing something that is creative or intuitive, then it means that you can't be sciencey or have business acumen. And really, that's not true. It's the blending of both of these sides where magic really starts to happen. You've used the term highly sensitive person before to describe yourself and I would love for you to talk a little bit more about this term and how you associate with it and how perhaps it has maybe helped you understand some of the ways that you interact with the world. Well I guess to start with my story and then maybe to go into more details of what it is is that um, I was always aware that I was sensitive. Maybe mostly I would just always see it in my report cards at school. <laughs> and I, I guess for a long time I didn't really quite know what they they were meaning. I was like quite a shy and quiet 
you know, kid and sort of softly spoken. So I, I think that's the context they were meaning. But as I got older and when I was at university and I'd like, lo- I just loved uni. It was just such a wonderful time of all this inquiry and having access to this incredible library. And I came across this title, The Highly Sensitive Person, written by Dr. Elaine Aaron is a psychologist. I remember picking it up and and having a flick through the pages, uh, just seeing, you know, that feeling. Do you experience that when you just pick something up and you're like, oh dear, like this is this could be describing my life. <laughs> and there was like a little quiz that you could do, self assessment, and like I came up very strongly for these traits. And what it basically is, is that it's estimated that 20% of all higher animals, um, so of which human species are included, have slightly different attuned nervous systems in that they can take on more sensory input for an, from an environment. Uh, and this was thought to be in terms of a pack survival strategy because they could pick up on things in the environment um, that others couldn't and then maybe other members of the pack would have you know, different traits that allowed them to, you know, swing into action faster or, you know, like things like ADHD where these people have incredible amounts of energy, like they're the people that could stay up all night, you know, you know, protecting the thing. So it's just comes from an evolutionary biology perspective. It's, there's a lot there to it. But what it means for the lived experience of that in the modern world is that highly sensitive people can take on a lot more stimulus and it makes them very receptive. It can make them wonderful. You know, most artists and writers and poets uh, and musicians are often wired up this way, which allows them to create the beautiful things that they do. But if it's not well understood and if there's not enough time to process all that stimulation and, you know, allow something to come out the other side, then we can get very overwhelmed in a very biological way literally there are just too many too many signals firing and you can feel very overwhelmed and fatigued by that and I sort of had up until that point really experienced the world in that way you know these moments filled with awe and wonder and just oh my goodness this world is just incredible and then (laughs) this is all too much and I need to hide away for you know a good couple of weeks and I sort of noticed that I was going through this pulsing and it really helped reframe that from being a bit too much of a gentle petal for the world to, oh, (laughs) that's just how your nervous system works. And if you can intentionally work with that and build in more sort of micro moments to process, then you can sustain this in a much bigger way. And then through my work, I've just been able to meet so many other fellow highly sensitive people and it can I think it's greatest gift of understanding it is it just allows you to understand this unique quality in a really compassionate way and gives you a user manual of how to take care of yourself when a lot of the other self-care advice just actually doesn't work and have you brought this into the way that you manage your business as well totally I think I reflect a lot through my business and I'm always working out ways of like how can I serve better and how can I maintain my energy at the same time. So lots of little tricks and ways that I've structured it so it gives me plenty of those downtimes to 
be able to integrate everything. And I just know that it's non-negotiable because it's what allows me, you know, if I'm an instrument, that's just what I have to do to tune to tune my strings. And that's a beautiful thing about working for yourself. You can you can design the architecture with the, and when you have that knowledge of yourself, it can be a lot more bespoke. I think related to this when you kind of know you're a highly sensitive person but I know that you also work very closely with the menstrual cycle and and you teach beautifully about the topic as well in the inner seasons is is this something that you started learning about relatively early on how, how did you come to to learn to the extent that you have now about about this beautiful part of um of the human body I was always just just as I was drawn to plants and herbalism as soon as I got into my training whenever we were learning about the you know female reproductive system I got that same thing of like oh this is just like I could study this all day this is fascinating and where I did my studies it's like um northern New South Wales it's near Byron Bay which is a reference point most people sort of know it's very crunchy and hippie and my university was kind of in this lovely bubble and uh, because I went into naturopathy straight from school that was quite unusual most the majority I was pretty much one of the only people straight out of school most people had come to it after you know as a second career that they were retraining so I was around a lot of older women and I really got taken under their wing and I got sort of initiated into these different ways of thinking of my body and cycle. And it was, you know, really simple. It was, you know, the basics of, you know, when you're bleeding, make yourself a nice pot of soup and like, you know, put your feet up, do some knitting, have a knitting project and, and do some of it every time you're, you know, you're bleeding. And I just, I thought like they were kind of crazy at the beginning. And then I did. And I was like, wow, this is great. I feel so much better. <laughs> They're onto something. Uh, and then I, that sort of got my interest up and then I was that time of my life as well you know working out birth control options and it was very much in alignment with my sort of natural health philosophy to try and avoid hormonal birth control if I could and I came you know I discovered the fertility awareness method which is for those who don't know what it is it's um, a system that allows allows you to read some key fertility signs that your body provides you and learn to interpret them as to whether today is a day you could fall pregnant or not. And then there's just some rules that you use to apply whether you're wanting to avoid pregnancy or achieve pregnancy. And by beginning to practice that, I just became so much more attuned to my body and my cycle and because I'm already a meditator and a writer, I could really start seeing the patterns in these other domains of my life. And I don't think I would have seen those patterns if I wasn't doing just the physical charting. And so I guess I just noticed, yeah, I just noticed these different patterns in my emotions. And it was, you know, at that point, it was just interesting. But then through my studies and working with, you know, herbalism and traditional medicine systems, that's when I learn about, you know, the medicine wheel and the elements and the seasons and so much of naturopathic medicine is understanding and honouring the laws of nature and, and working with those forces. And then I discovered the incredible world of menstrual cycle awareness and um, through Alexandra Pope, who is 
written a number of books um, on the topic, like Women's Quest and I think it's The Wild Genie and more recently Wild Power with Sajani Hugo with Litsa. And she's coming at it from a psychotherapist's point of view. And I was able to just see so much of alignment of what I'd organically been observing. And then she had just, you know, she this was her body of work. So it was just like Christmas discovering her work. <laughs> Yeah, and that became this like lovely guide of, and as a that linked really nicely with being a highly sensitive person, is that I had this map that I could really manage my energy with, and the menstrual cycle, when you know how to read it, gives you these really clear cues as to when it's a time to be out there doing things and when's a time to be a little bit, you know, quieter and inward. And it sort of felt like I found a slipstream that I could actually sustain. And, yeah, and then I started teaching other folks about it too. And I think the number one thing I hear from people is it just makes so much sense. Like what you're saying is new in one way, but actually it just feels like I'm remembering something. It feels so instinctive and intuitive to think about it that way. And that's, that's what I love about this work so much. It's just waking something up in people. That was already there. Yeah, I love the way you described it earlier. You said, you know, they would give you this really simple advice. And it does seem simple once you've heard it, but it really seems very, very difficult to actually put into practice because we've been sold so much of a different story of kind of that you have to push through your period and you sort of have to pretend that it's not there most of the time. And and then there's so much other over-cultural stuff and societal baggage that comes with being in a human body that it can be very hard to tune in to what it is trying to tell you. And I, I do think the menstrual cycle awareness is a beautiful way to learning how to listen to your body. Did your relationship with listening to your body change over time what are some of the ways that you have found helpful in being able to tune in to actually listening to what you need I'd say a lot of the probably bigger lessons are the consequences of when you don't listen <laughs> and you damn well know <laughs> like oh yeah okay I really did I was really hopeful in pushing that there and now I feel x y z but I would say it's maybe on more broad sort of macrocultural level is realizing that our bodies our bodies are here for us and they are these allies in our life that we're you know in our time on this earth and they give these really intelligent signals to us that are just asking yeah us to to listen and respond to and that can be a really hard line of communication to strike back up because as you said that's been sort of really purposefully silenced for quite a while and it is quite inconvenient at time it doesn't really go to the linear nine to five model that well so I think for myself I mean at the time of this recording is I'm 18 weeks pregnant and it has been like the the most intense experience of just having to listen to my body because as we were talking before we hit record I've, and we've had to delay this call a few more times a few times because I've had such bad morning sickness and 
when I've tried to push through it, it just gets worse or I get tired. And when I've actually just done what my body's asked me to do, which is rest and eat simple foods and just be like a nurturing, you know, gentle receptacle, I feel a whole lot better. So I think you can't get away with too much in pregnancy if your body's really telling you some strong signs. I think if I hadn't of being really consciously cultivating that relationship and and seeing when I you know a beautiful thing about being a practitioner is I learn so much from my clients and you know I'm often you know sort of I'm I'm teaching principles and devising you know healing plans based on those principles and then when I watch it unfold and for that to click in place for them as well it kind of just builds my confidence in that as as so it's, I feel like that's become quite a strong muscle memory for me now, as much as I still wish I could just override it at times. Yes. Have you had to change many of your uh, personal practices during these weeks of pregnancy to adjust to your new position? <laughs> new position, yeah. Oh, my gosh, so much. Oh, like I had such a lovely morning routine where I would you know wake up and do my meditation and then my writing in my little like writing nook and and then I would you know post on Instagram at eight o'clock because that's when most of my audience is there and um like you know my day started on this there was this like upsurge of energy each morning and with pregnancy I just have been I'm feeling so much better now but I'm still getting the actual morning sickness it's shifted from all day sickness my husband and I have this like hilarious morning routine now where he brings me blueberries and I slowly eat the blueberries and gives me a cup of tea and I slowly drink the cup of tea (laughs) and then he brings me two boiled eggs and if I if that doesn't happen (laughs) then the day is not gonna go well (laughs) and so this is what I mean I'm like oh well I'm not achieving very much am I with my blueberries and eggs but (laughs) it's what my body's just having to do but I'm also feeling like I'm just accessing this deeper level of compassion, for want of a better word, and like a maybe a maturity. I, I'm not quite sure. It feels like there's something that's changing in my awareness and it's gently creeping in and I'm sort of sitting with it and watching it. But yeah, things that I felt were hard to do before are becoming easier because I'm like, oh, it's not just me that I'm having to say this for now. So it's, yeah, uh, changing my breakfast and changing my psyche. (laughs) Yeah, well, and there's so much kind of uncertainty that comes with this such a big life change and not really knowing how it's going to affect you until, until you know. How did you sort of manage to ground yourself in those moments of uncertainty and and maybe even outside of pregnancy in your business? Where do you find uncertainty can often show up and how do you usually deal with it? I feel like uncertainty shows up everywhere. No, pregnancy, especially in that first trimester when you are... Yeah, so much is changing, and and I, I work in women's health, so I know the I know the stats for getting through that first trimester. So I think you just have to lean into faith and take every day as it comes. There's so many ways that we can try and seek certainty, and you know, in pregnancy, that's getting lots and lots of tests done and lots of imaging at every stage, and 
I sort of made the sort of more conscious effort to go a really light touch with that because I, I sort of didn't want to be in a space where I was just waiting for the next test because I really just wanted to connect with and, and trust, connect and trust. And when I'm feeling uncertain, just leaning into the trust and just knowing that whatever will be, you know, will be the next, you know, adventure, whatever that, whatever that entails. So I think, yeah, that just staying really grounded in the present and doing whatever needs to be done to stay there is really important. And I'd say that's exactly the same thing I do in business. Just like we were talking about before with menstrual cycle awareness, where some of the tips can seem so simple and yet so difficult to actually put into practice. And one, the one that you just mentioned is the one I seem to be struggling with on a constant basis, which is just trying to ground in the present and in what is actually happening because we can, our brains are so ready to think about where else you could be or what else could be happening or what you wish could be happening instead of looking at what is actually there for you. <laughs> and it's one of the hardest things to manage. <laughs> it is. And that's, you know, I, I'd be so bold to say that that's like what the majority of sort of spiritual practices is all about is coming into the present moment and not letting your mind hijack that and try and tell you otherwise. And to be there all the time is a form of enlightenment, right? So us mere mortals, it's just about, um, you know, capturing moments of it and then holding onto that and, and weaving it through our days in what, way, in what ways we can. Now, even in like the darkest, most sort of impossible of circumstances, if you just breathe and look around and just, yeah, ground in the present things get so much better so much more quickly uh when you were i'm, I'm going to bring us back a little bit more to because you've been running your business now you said for about eight years yeah it's had a few different evolutions but all strung together eight years and i'd love to hear a little bit more about when you kind of made shifts in in your business or if you had any moments of feeling very unclear of how to take it forward because one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast was I would see all these incredible examples of people having started their own creative businesses and it felt like they knew what they were doing and they had it all figured out from the get-go and then when you start doing it yourself you realize that that's not necessarily the case <laughs> so um, I would love to hear more about your experience with that. Well, there was a there was a phase there in that eight years where I um, took a complete step back and paused it all because I was going through a moment of uncertainty and not knowing whether this was something I should continue with, um, at least in the form that I was doing it in. Because I went straight out of uni, straight into business, and I was only twenty. I was just a baby at the time, um, and I hate when people when I was twenty three telling me I was just a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Older and wiser, I, I was definitely a baby, and I was sort of just running my business a little bit like Mother Teresa, uh, which was, yeah, I, I guess just that was um, reflective of my values and thinking at the time. And uh, so I, 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 I quickly burnt out. Um, long story short, and I, I took a bit of a break, and I just decided to nanny, like which was just, in retrospect, one of the most healing, beautiful things I 
could have done because, you know, details like, you know, the actual act of it just meant that I could connect with this beautiful joy and simplicity of, of tiny humans each day. And then I met my husband in these really, like, lovely circumstances and he was at a similar point in his career and we both just went traveling to Europe for four months backpacking and we just had a tent and our backpacks and we would stay in all you know rarely stayed in hostels or hotels and it was this lovely wild experience where we were both able to just find the next threads we wanted to to follow and that brought me to Sydney and that brought me to you know I think a moment um, a defining moment was that I just decided to invest in some proper like business education and I knew at that point that I, I wanted to be location independent eventually because I knew I wanted to live in the country. So I just had a much clearer sort of idea of what I wanted to do and I knew where my skill gaps were and was able to just know that the investment of the money was going to be potentially worth it there's no guarantees whatsoever and I think that like combination of things and a refreshed energy is what gave birth to my most recent evolution which is you know the last four years and yeah there's and it's just been like bootstrapping it working it out as you go along and it just you know developing things that flop developing things that really resonate with people and then just iterating and iterating and working out ways you can serve deeper and better and more innovatively. And it just kind of grows and evolves on itself from there. I think I have just learnt through the entrepreneurial world that, you know, you just need to get into the river and know that it's going to have its own current and you have control to direct some of it. But, but for the most part, you really do need to go with the flow and just you know, adapt as you go. The instinct is to want to battle against the tide, isn't it? You want to go against the current and because you have a very fixed idea maybe of where you're supposed to be going and yet... Or is this the right current? Is this taking me yes. to the right place? Was there a jet ski that I should have taken back? Oh God, I thought somebody said that there were jet skis that I could get on and go, I can't see them anywhere. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um would you be able to describe a little bit more of how burnout felt for you? Maybe it's, I think it's a bit specific depending on what kind of work you do. But for me as a healer, it's when I feel like I can't hold people's stories in my heart in the way that I want to be able to hold them. I know that's maybe an abstract thing to say, but when it feels like there's just too many in there and I haven't being able to process them or when I feel like I can't hold that space with the sort of reverence needed for transformation to happen um, without it costing me taking that energy to put into the space, which is kind of what I think the rookie move in the beginning is to do because you know, okay, these ingredients need to be here for this person to experience this healing interaction and then you wake up one day and you realize that you just made way more withdrawals from your energy bank and you didn't put enough deposits in there. And then they can just be the, like the very physical things of the fatigue and insomnia and just feeling like you're crispy and 
you just want to basically roll into a cocoon. (laughs) I think that's the end stage of it. But now I recognize it. I mean, 2020 has been the year of burnout, I feel, for people from what I've, you know, friends and, and, and colleagues and clients that I've been speaking to. And I think it's just when you feel like you've lost your spark and you're really not knowing where you can get it from again. How did you eventually make the decision to step away from it all? Did you feel guilt around that decision? Oh, huge amounts, massive amount. Because I was still relatively young by that point, 25, and I, I had all these seeds of doubt from that sort of earlier, you know, family. And um, I, as we were talking about in the beginning of, I, I, I was then ate the gremlins of maybe you should have done medicine. Maybe this would be easier if you had the backing of, you know, if you, you weren't working against the mainstream and, and yada, yada, yada. So I think I realized I needed to step away to really reconcile that within myself or else it felt like it would always be a hungry ghost chasing me. And so I, I just remember it as just being like a very clear moment of, okay, this is actually just what needs to happen. There needs to be, there needs to be an interlude in my story here. To recover my spark and, and also, to be honest, to stop being so serious. <laughs> Like I, you would to go straight from school into the career that you will like I kind of missed out on just being a little bit I don't know frivolous and fancy free and I was really craving that so you know in in those moments of pause that I mean there was the trip with my husband but I also did you know trips uh, like a trip to India by myself for three months and you know just I wanted to feel the edges of my spirit in a new way. And yeah, it felt like some joy and creativity needed to be rekindled. Uh, it turned out to be a marvelous equation, <laughs> a marvelous recipe. I highly recommend it, even though I think that travel will be a far way off for a lot of us. Yeah, well, I feel, I think what's super important in that, when you're in that nebulous space of unsure what brings you joy and happiness, I think it's really important to feel like you have a choice and that you're not just following a path because it's there but because you actually want it and I think that's something that really gets lost when you are feeling burnt out or you're or you're not necessarily doing something the way you want to be doing it it can start to feel like you're very trapped and but at the same time what's really stressful about those kind of situations is that because you have no space for creativity, you can't even imagine what else might be there for you. And so I agree with you. I think kind of taking that step away is really important. It just, it may look different for everyone. I love that then you went back to the same profession when it really felt like an actual choice for you. Like actually, no, this is, this is what I want to do. Yeah, it felt like a... um like a, a restating vows ceremony <laughs> when I came back to where I started I was like oh you're still there <laughs> you've been waiting for me thank you <laughs> yeah I'm moment there but it was fabulous I you know aperitivos and Sicilian sunset is great oh dreamy I really miss travel <laughs> 
think everyone does this year. But, you know, like you said, it can be in so many different forms uh, for people. And, yeah, just taking, I really love the term sabbatical. I think we all reach points in life where we need a sabbatical, whatever form that, you know, takes on for somebody to refill the well. And and those little dreams that you've always wanted to do is, you know, it's the time to be able to actually to do it. And I think as well, there's a real narrative around, you know, you kind of leave your career and then you go do something completely different. And, and I do think there's that break time is to do something where you can tend to your dreams and do something different. But I also think it's important to state that there is no shame in going back to a previous job, if you realize that that actually is what works for you. Um, And you may not, you may realize actually, that's not what I wanted. But um, but I wonder if there's a little bit of guilt and shame around people going back to something as well as going forward into something new. I can definitely relate to the guilt in the beginning, though. I was like, <laughs> I should have this figured out. I shouldn't have to, like, you know. And, and then the guilt, of course, of just, you know, leaving your responsibilities behind. And as they say in I, I'm a big fan of Taoist philosophy of there comes a time where we each must go on the far journey and there is something important that our soul needs to continue the next chapter and that far journey will, whatever that is for you, will that is there for you to find. There's a beautiful poetry and truth to that, I feel. It's beautiful. And in the, um, you then, in this latest iteration, evolution of your business, the past four years, where you said that you had to go through many developments of trying things and seeing what resonated and seeing what didn't. How did it feel when stuff didn't work? How did you manage to keep going through those moments? I think having an expectation at the beginning of this could go either way, (laughs) this experiment uh, really helps. And I think just having some contingency plans like, oh, okay, well, if this doesn't work, at least I learned how to like I gained this skill in doing that or I learned something really valuable that this actually isn't something that people want but from that I actually learned that they maybe more want you know something more like this so maybe I can test that um so it always you know actually one of my mentors and it's always stuck with me is she said there's no such thing as mistakes they're just mistakes you can take it again you know I love that. Yeah, me too. It's just such a simple one of like, oh, okay, um, shake it off and like try a new recipe. Yeah, and in- <laughs> infuse kind of curiosity into each step. I think that's really valuable. I really love Tara Moore's work for this, the author of Playing Big, of, and I know it's just, uh, it's really tough work for, um, I think particularly women, um, of disconnecting from praise and criticism and so often, uh, you know, in a lot of education systems, you know, we work for praise, we work for good marks. Um, you follow the rules and you, you get the A if you, you know. And, yeah, and it can be really hard to readjust your mind to when you hear praise, be like, oh, I'm so glad it resonated. That's beautiful to hear. But not 
that is not what is feeding the the joy or the purpose or the meaning of the work. Like you want to know that it's helping for sure. That's really important, but you're not relying on that praise to keep going. And when you can sort of develop that muscle, then the, the criticism or the, the failures or the things that don't go as expected, like don't have the same power to touch you either. Ongoing practice though, it's hard. Of course, as with all of these things, you you touch in and then you find yourself not as touched in as usual and so you go back in again and <laughs> see what works. Um, but it does feel like a process. It is a process. And I think, oh, gosh, like with social media, you're literally getting a report card that everybody can see. <laughs> yeah, you just have to make sure that doesn't stand in the way of you doing the work you're meant to do because that would be a dying shame. Oh, so much beautiful wisdom. I'm going to ask you to share one more, which will be my the question that I ask everyone on this podcast, which is what advice would you have for those that are currently feeling lost on their own forest path? To first of all know that this too will pass and that the sun will rise again. Um, and in the meantime, you know, find what you need to do to center yourself, to situate yourself, to see what you can do in this patch of the forest you found yourself in. Um, and if there's no paths that you can find, then that maybe is just a sign this is where you need to be for a little while. And, and instead of feeling lost, you could say that I am playing out this interlude. I love the word interlude with life. <laughs> and from participating in that and bringing your whole heart to that, then the next steps will, will reveal themselves through that. Mm. It's unlikely if we sort of stay in the mindset and the space of being feeling lost and in the dark. And there can be these really beautiful moments in in those moments in between as well that can really change the course of of your life from that point on in some cases thank you so much clara what is the best way for people to find out more about your work yeah so my my digital home is www.clarabailey.com clara spelt clara but pronounced clara a little confusing but c-l-a-r-a and that is where I share my writings and um, you can connect with me on social media through there. I spend, even though I'm taking a little break from Instagram right now, but Instagram is where I spend most of my time chatting with the wonderful community. Wonderful. Well, thank you so, so much again for your time. And I look forward to seeing what else you share with us in the future. Oh, likewise, Julian. Thank you so much for inviting me onto this beautiful creative venture of yours. It's a absolute pleasure to be here chatting. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed today's conversation, please share it with a friend and subscribe. It helps people find it and means a great deal to me. And if you are looking for some gentle guidance on your own forest path, I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching to help you discover and reconnect with your own magic. You can find out more on my website, juliewrites.com. Until next time, wanderers. <laughs>